Amen. Now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to read again this inspired postscript. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll read verses 12 through to 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 5 and the verse 13. And my theme today is how a failure can become faithful. If you look at verse 13, it ends with the words, And so doth Marcus my son. How a failure can become faithful. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, 12 to 14, forms the conclusion to Peter's first letter to the churches in five provinces of Asia Minor. And this portion of Holy Scripture is what I'm calling an inspired postscript. And I've told you in the past it's full of interesting material and details that haven't been told so far in this letter. And sadly, this is a postscript that some commentators have just merely glossed over. They've not gone into any detail. Now, some weeks ago, when I looked at it and prayed about it, I noticed at least five sermons on the surface. Three to four weeks ago, I preached in the first sermon, Sylvanus, a Sylvaithful brother. Up to this point, Peter had dictated his letter to a man called Sylvanus. And at the end, he took the pen from Sylvanus's hand and wrote this inspired postscript with his own hand. And of course, we learn for the first time of a man with him by the name of Sylvanus. This man is Peter's manuscript writer, Peter's secretary. He's also described here as a faithful brother. He is known to the churches in Asia Minor. His name in Latin is Sylvanus. And of course, Latin Sylvanus is the name for Silas in the Greek. So we could talk about faithful silence. And you think of him serving the great apostle Peter. Silas proved himself as a missionary, a secretary, as a postman. He hand-delivered the letter to the churches. And of course, we need faithful men of God today in the church. We emphasize that in the first sermon. The second sermon preached was also from the verse 12. And... Um, it was entitled, Understanding the True Grace of God. And we asked the question, why did Peter write this letter? And here's the answer at the end. 
as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Peter is telling them. This brief letter of five chapters has one overall aim, one overall arching purpose and theme to show the believers in his day who are suffering hardship, enduring persecution and opposition what is the true grace of God and exhorts them to continue to stand in it. How many today start out as faithful men and end up making compromises of the true grace of God. You see, everything to do with true Christianity has to do with and is connected with the true grace of God. Salvation, sanctification, our service, our stand. You see, a works religion denies this, denies the true grace of God. Being a merit monger, like Luther said, describes uh, or denies the, the true grace of God. Roman Catholicism with its Christ plus works theology denies the true grace of God. The church of Christ stands in the true grace of God. And every true believer, of course, needs grace to be saved, to to live the Christian life, to grow, to pray, to be mature, to endure trials, to stand and hold fast. The third sermon we looked at was from 1 Peter 5 and 13. The church at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you. And here we're learning for the first time where Paul is actually at. He is at a place called Babylon. Notice for the first time, there's a church there. And this church is elected together with the churches in Asia Minor to whom Peter is writing. And this church at Babylon sends its greeting to the churches. In Asia Minor. Now last week I preached on this uh, as a sermon. I preached on the meaning of the church at Babylon. And the mention of the church at Babylon. And the mentoring of the church at Babylon. But we'll just back up a little. What does Babylon mean? The majority of commentators take the view that it's a code name for Rome. The Roman Catholic Church, of course, favours this interpretation because it means that Peter was in Rome. And, of course, it bolsters their claim that Peter was the first pope. But I want to tell you this morning, there's not the slightest bit of evidence that Peter was ever at Rome. It's an unproven theory. And I do not believe that the uh, reference to Babylon is a code name for Rome. It's not um, metaphorical, it's, it's literal. There's a literal Babylon on the river Euphrates that's being referred to. And let me just emphasize this, that in Romans 16, in the long list of people that Paul was writing to who were there at Rome, Peter's not named. Why? Simply because Peter's not there. To leave out a, an apostle? That would be unheard of in writing to friends or fellow workers if he was there. Why didn't Paul do the same if it was a security issue? Why didn't Paul use crypto code? He mentioned Rome in his letters. He just blurted it out. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit meant. It was literal Rome in the land of Italy. In Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, the the apostles agreed to send Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews. 
And Peter, who was part of that, according to Galatians 2 and 11, agreed to this. Reference there is to John and Cephas and James. Cephas, of course, is the name for Peter. See, Peter had no business in Rome because he was sent uh, to the circumcision. Fourthly, the gospel ministry of Paul mandated and was motivated by one great overarching principle, to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named. He wasn't going to build in another man's foundation. Romans 15 and 20. And if Peter was at Rome and established the church there, Paul wouldn't have went there. Fifthly, there was a big Jewish community at Babylon from 586 BC. Think of the words, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down, a popular tune known by the singer Boney M. But it's based in Psalm 137. In the first century, a literal Babylon was still in existence. It was in existence right up to the second century. And there's plenty of historical evidence to this fact. And when Peter was mentioning the word Babylon, he was thinking about literal Babylon. There was a church there on the river Euphrates made up of Jews and a few Gentiles. And we're told for the first time that there was a church there, a church in the most unlikely of places and Peter's with them Peter's ministering amongst them so is this guy called Silvanus which is Latin for Silas and we learn that there's another individual with them for the very first time we learn this at the end of the letter and what's his name think of the words and so doth Marcus my son Now, now who's this guy This is a reference to John Mark, a young man who started out in the work of the Lord with great promise, who became a failure, and now he is with Peter at literal Babylon on the banks of the Euphrates. And we're told that the church, along with Mark, Send greetings to the churches that are suffering persecution in Asia Minor. Isn't it wonder of the amazing grace of our God? I think of this text, and so doth marketh my son. Been easy to skip over it. I think of the theme, how a failure can become faithful. How can a failure become someone who is faithful again to God and his work? And that's what we want to think about for the next 20 minutes or so. Four little thoughts. I want you to think of Marcus the follower. He says, and so doth Marcus my son. You see, Marcus is also the Latin name for Mark. It's a reference to John Mark. And we're introduced to him in the Bible. If you turn with me to Acts (coughs) chapter 12. Mark, Acts chapter 12, 13. But Mark, or or sorry, Acts chapter 12 and the verse 12. It said, and when he had considered a thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, Peter's out of prison, young people. And he comes to the house of Mary in Jerusalem. We're told something about Mary. She's a mother. She's at least got one son. And his name is John. 
And we're told there in Acts 12 and verse 12, whose surname was Mark. Now, you know what that means? That means he was called John Mark. John's his Christian name. Mark's the surname. So where did Peter go to after he came out of prison in Jerusalem? He went to Mrs. Mark's house. And there was a prayer meeting there. And John Mark lived there. And John Mark's a young man in the church. And we're told that many were gathered prayer praying. And there's a prayer meeting in the house. Now I believe that Peter was probably a frequent visitor to the house. It says in verse 13, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, Notice now, Peter says, many years later, after that knocking on the door, Mark is my son. Now, now this has puzzled many. What does that mean, Mark is my son? Now, Peter's not saying I'm his biological father. That's not a proper interpretation of the Holy Scriptures. He's not saying I'm his dad. I could talk about James, my son, because he is my biological son. But that's not what Peter meant. Peter was saying, he's my son spiritually in the faith. He's literally my son in the faith. He's my spiritual child. I led him to the Lord. I pointed him to Christ. It was through my ministry that the Holy Ghost worked in his heart and life and brought him to faith in Christ. The same is true there of Timothy in First Timothy chapter 1 and in the verse 2. Timothy is spoken about by the Apostle Paul. Remember what Paul says in First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. Unto Timothy... My own son in the faith. In other words, I, Paul, led Timothy to the Lord. And I just want to point out this morning that John Mark, therefore, was a saved young man. He was a true follower of Jesus Christ. He had tasted the grace of God. I want to ask the question this morning. Are you saved? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you tasted the true grace of God have you got a testimony uh, as a true follower of Jesus Christ we don't know what age uh, John Mark came to faith in Christ we don't know where the conversion took place in in Jerusalem or in the uh, home where John Mark lived it's most likely that he came to faith as a teenager as a young man and I just want to say young people that the most important decision that you can make in life is not about a job or a career or about making money or having a name or a reputation for yourself. The most important thing in life is this. Do you know God, the living and the true God? Do you know Jesus Christ whom he sent? Not theoretically, but experimentally. Do you, do you know Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you come to the place where you admitted that you're a sinner? Where you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Where, where, where you're adhering this morning to Christ. You see the mention of Mark is very important. So doth my son Mark. He's with me here at Babylon. And he wants to, to say something. 
And what's he saying when he puts the words down in paper, so doth Marcus my son. Marcus is a follower of Christ. And I want to ask this morning, is that true of you? Young people, the most important thing that you can know in life is that you're genuinely saved and trusting in Christ as Lord and Saviour. And I ask again, are you trusting in Christ this morning? Are you saved? Have you come to him as Lord and Saviour? And that's only true of the young people, but true of all of us. Notice secondly, Marcus the failure. You see, when we trace his life in the New Testament, we discover that this follower of Jesus Christ, this young man, became a failure. Look with me at Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, of course, they're, they're, they're in the church now at Antioch. So they've traveled from Jerusalem north to, to Antioch. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 13, And they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work for unto I have called them. It says in verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now we're, we're, we're going to pause there. I want you to think of the, the church at Antioch. <coughs> And Barnabas is there. And so is this guy Saul, who became known better as the Apostle Paul. And there's a prayer meeting. There's ministry of the word of God. There's fasting. And the Holy Ghost says through the church, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. It says, verse 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed, that's from Antioch to Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So I want you to think of them setting off for Seleucia and sailing for Cyprus. Now, now Cyprus is a lovely island on the Mediterranean. And it's a great holiday place. And you see, John Mark went along as a baggage boy. And he was no doubt carrying and fetching things and learning the ropes. Barnabas was his uncle. The Apostle Paul was a great missionary to be respected. And we're, we're told then in the verse 13, Now when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, that's a port in Cyprus, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now notice these words in verse 13. And John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. Something happened, according to Acts 13, 13. When they left Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, moving north through the, 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 the Turkey or, or the direction of Turkey, something happened. John Mark departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, it's the same boy that, that's referred to earlier in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Barnabas is his uncle. Uncle Barnabas and the great apostle Paul. 
and he has left them. Now why? What, what lay behind this? Why go back? Let me just give you a few thoughts very quickly. John Mark had not actually been called to the work. Think of the wording, separate me uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work we're unto. I have called them. You could think of John Mark. He's excited. He's heard Uncle Barnabas and, and the Apostle Paul talk of Cyprus. A nice holiday place. Lovely place to visit. And he desired to go. And, and his desire is good. He that desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good thing. The desire was in his heart and mind. But he needed something else more than the desire. He needed the call of God. And John Mark, I believe, was not actually called of God to go to the work. He, he was not called by the Holy Ghost. He was not sent forth by the church. And there's a lesson here. And wherever we are to do for God any kind of service, any work, even in the house of God, we need to know God's calling at the back of it. It's not because, well, I desire it. It's not because, well, I've got this gift or that gift. It's not because, well, others think I'm the right man for the job or the right woman. Men remember looking the outward appearance, God looketh in the heart. It's not because he was educated or not because of any desire for ambition of power or adventure. Only and always because the call of God. That's essential. That's the only thing that keeps you going in ministry. That's the only thing that keeps you going in missionary work. And they were called via the local church. And that's essential. Belonging to a local church. Belonging to the church and the call of God is connected. And of course we could say that sadly the church of Jesus Christ is littered with spiritual wreckage. Individuals, young men and older men have all made shipwreck. Why? Because the desire for the work is not the call of God. And the desire for the work can be based on a wrong motive. Maybe Mark went along thinking of Cyprus as a holiday destination. Others can have the wrong motive of coming into the mission, mission, ministry or missionary work. The thought of making money or having power or having easy life. And there's no thought, well, well I'm doing this to the glory of God. Maybe the desire in John Mark's mind was to go with a relative, Uncle Barnabas. You see, a call to missionary work, folks, a call to church ministry is not through a bloodline. Now, it's not because my dad's in it or my uncle's in it or my father's the minister. I'll be one. Of course, I'm sure any father would love that his son or his daughter was involved in ministry or missionary work. But what's essential for the young man or young woman is need to know the call of God. And John Mark became a failure because he didn't know the call of God in his own life. He just went along with Uncle Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Another reason why he became a failure was that they, the work got tough. You see, he learned very quickly this is not a holiday. He learned that missionary work is tough work and it's not easy. Perga, this place that they went to, um, in verse 13 of Acts 13, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Now this place was filled with bandits. You could not travel alone. You could certainly not travel as a woman. 
You could certainly not travel at night. You had the risk of being robbed or maybe murdered. And I asked the question, was it too much for John Mark when he got to Perga? Was it too hard or difficult? See, let's remind ourselves that all Christian work is hard. And what does the work need? It needs wholeheartedness, not half-heartedness. It needs stout-heartedness. You see, John Mark learned things are not going to be easy. Men and women are not generally receptive to the gospel. They hate God and the gospel unless the Holy Ghost works in their heart and works in their mind. So was this the reason for going back? The work got too tough. Others have suggested that John Mark became restless and homesick. I've heard of young men getting the call to Hawaii, lovely place to go for uh, uh, and be a pastor, or, or, or California. But what about the most hostile place in the world? How many would be excited and jumping up and down with the idea of getting a call of God to that place? Cyprus, lovely holiday spot. Perga, oh, oh, this is too hard and too difficult. You see, the true saying is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. In other words, they pack their bags and they leave and they go home. And where did he go back to? If you look at Acts 13, 13, it says, return to Jerusalem. In other words, he went back home, home to mommy. Maybe another reason, and we'll throw this out, was because of prejudice. Maybe he was thinking as Paul, the missionary to the Gentiles, what about the Jews, Paul? What about those of my own race and my own religion? Why are you taking the gospel to the Turks? They're a bunch of heathens. What about our own people? Maybe there was resentment growing in his heart and mind like that. Maybe he resented an Uncle Barnabas was beginning to play second fiddle to the Apostle Paul. Paul had become the chief speaker. If you notice Acts 13, uh, verse um, Two separate me, Barnabas and Saul. But later on we read about Paul and Barnabas, and it's Paul and Barnabas. And it's as if the wording and the order has been changed. Maybe he didn't like the idea of Uncle Barnabas being sidelined. But the most likely cause was because of the dangers that he faced in the vigil. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23, right through to verse 27, Apostle Paul talked about the perils and the dangers, the deadly dangers of missionary work. It was tough and it was hard. And you see, what sustained them was the call of God. Perga, a hundred miles of dangerous terrain, a difficult climate, and it required courage, stout-heartedness. And John Mark didn't have it. John Mark lost heart. John Mark hadn't the stomach. John Mark wasn't trusting enough in the Lord. Let me just throw this out at you. One disaster led to another. Because two years later, after the first missionary journey, turn over there to Acts chapter 15. And look with me at verse 36. Acts 15 and 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. 
Verse 37, And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. That was the second time. And Paul chose Silas, that's Silvanus, and departed, being recommended by the brethren, unto the grace of God. Now here's how one disaster leads to another disaster. Paul and Barnabas desire to visit the brethren in every city where they've preached the gospel. They want to go there to strengthen and edify them. And that was wise. That was a a brilliant suggestion. But Uncle Barnabas, we're told in uh, verse 37, determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. This wasn't a mere suggestion. He was saying, this is what I'm going to do. There was determination here. I'm taking John Mark with me. And Paul says, but that's not a good idea. And we're told in verse 38, the contention was so sharp between them. And you see, this young man, he destroyed a missionary partnership. Two good men split apart over this one young man and his failure in the past. We're told in verse 39 that Barnabas and Mark went back to Cyprus. The interesting thing is that Barnabas and John Mark were not heard of again as far as missionaries is concerned. You see, I believe Barnabas was wrong. And while it's recorded in the Bible, we have to say Barnabas was wrong. And we need to be careful. And maybe there's a thought here about family in the church. I've heard of men ordaining their own sons baptizing their own children, recommending their own sons or daughters for this job or this work or this effort, men pushing their own sons forward for a particular task in the church, and that's not good. It shouldn't happen. And Uncle Barnabas was determined he was taking nephew John Mark with him and it destroyed a partnership and had an impact in the work of God because they're not heard of again when they went back to Cyprus. See, Paul looked at John Mark He's not suited to the work. He's timid. He hasn't the right motive for the work. He lacks courage. He lacks zeal. He lacks stickability. Faithful and good men will end up being hurt. He'll run home again. The work needs men, not mere boys. Marcus the failure. Very quickly, Marcus the faithful. And so doth Marketh my son. Where is he? He's now in Babylon with Peter. I want you to think for a few minutes of the new John Mark. See, after for 15 or 16 years of running from the work, choosing mummy and home comforts, etc., living the life of a failure, living full of doubt, living full of depression, living full of guilt, the year's about 60 AD, 15 years after he sailed to Cyprus the first time. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Now come to Colossians chapter 4. Look with me at verse 10. Now this is important. Bear with me for a few minutes. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. Now what do we read there? Colossians 4 and verse 10. Let the Bible speak to your heart. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you. Paul's in prison, remember, at Rome. This is the first time. And Marcus 
sister son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandment, if he come unto you, receive him. Now can you see that? Here's a list of Paul's fellow workers. Paul's in prison at Rome. And he mentions not only Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner, but he mentions Marcus, sister son to Barnabas. He, he also adds whom you have received commandments. And if he come to you, that's come to the church at Colossae, what are they told? Receive him. Now, now think of this. That's significant. Marcus is now with Paul at Rome. 15 or 16 years after the first failure. He's one of Paul's fellow workers. We're told, Mark, Aristarchus, my fellow worker, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus. So, so he's sending greetings too to the church at Colossae. See, the Colossae church has heard of John Mark. They heard of his failure, his sin, his reputation. He can't be trusted. And um, Paul's writing to him. And if he comes, this is what I want you to do. I want you to receive him. See, the word got out. Don't trust John Mark. Why? He'll fail. It's interesting that Colossae is 90 miles northwest of Perga. See, if you know your geography, it's a good thing. And Paul, I believe, is name dropping. He mentions the, the, the nephew of Barnabas. You've heard bad news about this boy. Well, I've got a message for you. If he comes, receive him. You see, he has repented. He has got right with the Lord. He has made good. There's been a change in his life by the grace of God. He's not a quitter any longer. He's a young man now full of zeal. He's found his courage. He's got his mojo back. This is 15 years after the disappointing start. This is 13 years after the split between Uncle Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Now let me just throw this at you. It takes years to rebuild a reputation, a shattered reputation. It takes years to regain the trust of a church. It takes years to rebuild spiritual life again after failure and falling into sin. The Apostle Paul is recommending as well as restoring John Mark. He is with Paul at Rome. He's a comfort and help to Paul. See, let me just throw this out at you. For those who have failed the Lord in the work of God in missionary or ministry work, don't expect people to trust you immediately after the failure. Even after you've repented and been restored to the Lord. Don't expect people to immediately support you and trust you in the work. Because people have lost faith in you. There's a blot in your copybook. There have been bad judgment calls. There have been bad decisions. And your decisions, your bad judgment calls, they impact on the church and they impact on the gospel. And only the gospel is important. And time is needed to heal the hurt. Time is needed to deal with the failure. Peter, Paul recommend Marcus. Why? He's now a strong believer again. He's a comfort and help to them in the work of God. He's along with other workers. Other workers have quit, but not John Mark. He has learned his lesson. He's learned it well. He's now a loving, loyal young man. And the failure has become faithful at the last. 
Proverbs 24 and verse 16 we read, For a just man faileth seven times, and raiseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. He's now a sound young man. He's now not living a, a sinful or selfish life. He's now living sacrificially to the glory of God. He's overcome his weakness. He, he's fully trusting in the Lord. He's depending on the grace of God and the strength of God. He, he's willing and wanting to live to the, the glory of God. Isn't it wonderful that the Apostle Paul helped restore and recommend this young man? And if someone becomes a failure and falls into sin, then let's help to restore such a one. Maybe have, someone has a bad start, a failure. What should we do as a church? We should pray for them. We should be patient with them. We, we, we should preach to them in, in such a way that we're trying to win them back again to the God of all grace. Did you know that five years later when Paul was in Rome for the second time in prison, <coughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11. Paul said to Timothy, bring Mark with you. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. A lovely ending. Please bring Mark. He's profitable to me. What an honor. What a, what a commendation. Paul is asking for Mark by name. Because he's seen a change of the grace of God in the young man. Failure, young people, is never final. Notice lastly and quickly, and I'll just leave this with you. Marcus the friend. So doth Marcus my son. What was he doing? He was saluting the churches in Asia Minor from the church at Babylon. He was sending greetings. He was saying, tell them I love them. Tell them I'm praying for them. Tell them I've been loyal now to Christ for many years, even after my failure. And if I can be loyal with all my weakness and sin, then so can they, no matter what they face. This young man became a writer of the New Testament, Mark's Gospel. Who wrote Mark's Gospel? It was John Mark, the follower who became a failure, uh, who, who, who was fully restored by the grace of God. And he became the friend to the saints and the people of God. Let me just say this as we finish. If you feel the Lord falling into sin, you're not beyond the scrap heap. Don't think I'm a failure, I can't be used again, there's no hope for me. Because I want to tell you, if the Lord wasn't done with John Mark, he's not done with you. Young people, you will make mistakes. And mistakes can be costly. And mistakes can bring trouble into a home and into a church. And even older men in the church can make mistakes as well. That, that brings hurt to the church. And, and brings hurt to the work of God for many years. And therefore I say to all of us this morning. We need to watch for our lives. Remember the call, my son give me thine heart. Let's be aware of gross sins, public sins. Let's be aware of secret sins. Because once their reputation is gone in the church for being godly, then it's hard to rebuild. It's hard, hard to earn back trust again. John Mark had 15 years of sorrow until he learnt from his failure. 
Let's pray for one another. Let's be patient one for another. Let's recognize that we all need a, a true spirit of repentance. True humility. We need true grace if we're going to be the friend of the saints. John Mark sent greetings. Tell them I love them. Tell them I'm loyal now to Christ. It was sending out a message to try and encourage and help the people of God. Thank you this morning for listening. I pray that the Lord will bless these few remarks to your heart.